According to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, that believers are to make a defense for the hope that you have. Also Philippians chapter 1 verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We are commanded to defend the word of God, the context of the word of God, and the purity of the word of God. This is the defender of the word of God. Good evening, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, we are on the defender. Tonight is Wednesday, December the 6th, 2017. And I can't tell you how honored I am to be before you again, to be able to bring you the clarity, the information, the power of what the Word of God is stating to us in this day and time. I am so excited to be here, have had a good time for some relaxation, some respite, and we are back again at the desk tonight. So I want to thank you. You could have been anywhere tonight, but you chose to tune into the Defender here and come with us on a journey, a journey to be able to hear what God has to say to us and what he wants to speak through us. So we are excited for you to be with us tonight. We want to thank our international audience for tuning in every Wednesday, being a part of this broadcast, because truly, without you, we couldn't do what we do week after week. And we also want to send a thank you to the Resilient Christian Radio Network who allows your host to come on every Wednesday and to be able to speak clearly with uh, clear information, with clarity, what the Word of God is stating to us. So listen, we are truly excited for that. Family and friends, we thank you for being a part of us because truly we couldn't do what we do without you. It's because you choose to turn in and listen to us every Wednesday, week after week, since we began our initial launch back in March of 2017 and I'm here to tell you that it has been an awesome awesome ride thus far as we see what God is preparing and doing for us so thank you again we've had some incredible uh, interviewees on the broadcast we've had some powerful testimonies and we're going to continue to do that we're looking for some great things upcoming in the year 2018 which is already here even though tonight is December, but we're already in the year, as I believe, and I know many of you do too. So listen, tonight we are back at the desk. So you know what we say when we're back at the desk, you got to have what? That's right. you got to have your Bibles ready, have your pencil, have your pad, something to write on, something to take notes on so you can go back and study and be able to grow from your own digging in the Word of God. So let's begin tonight with the opening prayer. Can we do that together? Amen. Let's do that. Father, we thank you for this broadcast. We thank you tonight for the listening ear. And Father, we pray that you would administer your grace, dispense yourself into us that we may be able to recognize your voice and hear what you are saying to us so that we can grow and manifest the kingdom of God in heaven as it is on earth. We thank you for every ear that is tuned in. 
We thank you for clarity. We thank you for understanding. Remove me that only your voice may come through clearly, Holy Spirit. We thank you for it. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And it's in your precious name we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Listen, I am so excited. Every opportunity we get, we take it not for granted because we know you could be doing anything with your time. So listen, tonight, as I stated, we are back at the desk and we want to get right into what God has prepared for us tonight. If I had a title that I could put on this broadcast, it would be called The Point of Pressure. I'm going to say that again. If there was a title tonight, it would be called The Point of Pressure with the subtitle of Constraint the Circumstance. Did you get that? Constraint the Circumstance. And I'll tell you what we mean by that. So listen, we're going to get into the word here. We're going to open up our Bibles tonight. So if you would, let's go to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 14. That's where we're going to begin, okay? You hear my pages flipping? I know you're doing the same thing. And as I stated before on this broadcast, we just choose to use the King James Version. We know that there are many others out there. But for the sake of this broadcast, this is where we are tonight. So we're in the King James Version of the Bible. And we are at Matthew chapter 14. Now, we always state and say that in order to get a proper conclusion of whatever it is that we are dealing with, we have to get the proper context. So we always, wherever we begin, we like to go back just a little bit so we can understand about where we're going. So we are in the book of Matthew chapter 14. And uh, context scripture is going to be found beginning at verse 22. But before we get there, we got to understand where we're coming from, okay? So we're going to get here in Matthew chapter 14. And we're just going to give a quick backdrop of the story. Basically, what has happened here is Herod the Tetrarch, he is a king at this time, and he's heard about Jesus. He heard about Jesus, and he did something incredibly uh, wicked and diabolical at this time. Uh, he thought that he could stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. And he did this because he put to death the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who was John the Baptist. So let's pick up and let's read. We're going to go ahead and go to verse 1 in chapter 14. It says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. So this is why he's saying he thinks it's John the Baptist. And here's the reason why. Because in verse 3 it says, it says that Herod had laid hold on John and bound him up. That means he bound him, he put him in chains, and he put him in prison. And the reason he did it, it says that because Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, 
John said to him, he said, listen, it's not lawful for you to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him, which is John, as a prophet. So basically what has happened is there is this king, and he had a brother, and he took and married his brother's wife. And because he did that, John said that it was unlawful for you to do that. So he got angry, and not only he got angry, but his wife, who was Herodias, she was angry. And so this is what happened. It says, so when Herod had his birthday, we were in verse 6, it said, the daughter of Herodias danced before them, and it pleased Herod. So here is this woman, her daughter, she sends out to dance before the king. And so she danced before the king, and he was so pleased that he put out this word, verse 7. It says, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, give me here John the Baptist's head in a charger. Verse 9 says, the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And then he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. Verse 12, and his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. So here was something incredible that has taken place. This king, the wife of the king, who was unlawful to be with him, asked for the head of John the Baptist. Now, we got to remember, people, this is a time when the kingdom of God is being ushered in by a forerunner. The forerunner was John the Baptist. He came declaring that the gospel of the kingdom was coming and that everyone should repent and turn unto the Lord. So we understand that from this, that Herod knew that John was a great man. And so we can parallel this back with Mark chapter 6. He knew that John was a great man, and he feared John because John was a prophet, and he spoke of the things of God. So this is the backdrop of this story. So this woman had her daughter to go and dance in front of the king, and the king said, I'll give you whatever you ask for up until half of my kingdom. Now, ain't that powerful? That's powerful. Here is someone that was so engulfed by what he saw his flesh was so inflamed about what he saw that he was willing to give up half of his assets to this young girl who was going to then make a request to him. Now, notice it says that he was sorry that she asked for the head of John the Baptist, but he had already spoken the word. So listen, this lets us know that when a king decrees and declares a word, it's taken so serious that it has to be carried out. So we got to understand that we're dealing with kingdoms at this time. Jesus came in and instituted the kingdom of God. It was ushered and proclaimed by John the Baptist who went before him. So we see here that they cut the head off of John and they brought his head to this woman in a charger. Now, obviously, she was upset because he was speaking against what she was doing. She wanted to indulge in her own lust by marrying the king, the brother of her husband at that time, 
and it was unlawful. So she was upset. And another issue here is that they thought that they could stop the kingdom of God by taking John the Baptist out of the way, but they were sadly mistaken. So here we go. Now, we're still just building this case, okay? We're building our case. So it says, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship, this is verse 13, and into a desert place, and when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. So Jesus went forth, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. All right, so here is Jesus. He's heard about John the Baptist being beheaded in the prison, but he still keeps going on about his way. He goes into this desert place, and people follow him, and he had compassion on them because he saw that there was a lot of sick people at that time. All right? So let's understand what is taking place. Now, this is the backdrop of where we're at. And then in the next verse, it talks about the disciples coming to him. It said, listen, this is a desert place. When they say desert, that means it's dry. That means there is no food, no water. There is nothing there. It's arid land. There is nothing in this place. And so sometimes in our life, family and friends, ladies and gentlemen, we can find ourselves in a desert place. But even in those desert places, there is a demand that can be made on us by the Lord where he wants us to do something. Did you get that? Sometimes we are in a desert place. We're in a dry place in our life that we think. But then God will still make a demand on us to be able to pull something out of us to be able to complete a mission or a cause or something that he's called us to do. Here is the example. It says, when the evening his disciples came to him, this is verse 15, they said, it's a desert place and the time is now past. He said, send the multitude away. They said, uh, listen, let them go to the village and let them get some victuals. That means let them go get them something to eat because there's nothing here for them to do. But Jesus said to them, he said, they don't need to go anywhere. He said, they need not depart. Give them something to eat. So this is a point of pressure. Why do we say that? Because there's a demand put on the disciples that they don't think they have resource to alleviate. Did you get that? There's a demand put on these men of God that they don't think they got it in them to alleviate what the demand is. And sometimes that's what it's like for you and me. We don't think we have what it takes to be a remedy for what we see in our midst. Because, listen, Jesus said they don't need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. So in 17, they said to him, say, listen, we only have five loaves and two fishes. And what did Jesus say? In verse 18, he said, bring them hither to me. Bring it to me. See, many times when we're in a place where we are in a dry place, where we feel like we have nothing to offer, we feel like we don't have anything to give, the Lord is commanding and telling us, bring what you have to me. See, they did have something. They had five loaves and two fishes. It was just a little bit. But the little bit that they had, if they would bring it to the Lord, he would make a provision for it. Amen. Somebody ought to get free from that. That should tell you and me that regardless of what we have in our hand, if we trust God with it and bring it to him, he is able to multiply it and to bring satisfaction from the little bit that we think we have and turn it into a lot. 
Now somebody ought to say amen to that because this is what the kind of God, this is the action that he does, and this is the God that we serve. So listen, he said, look, bring him to me. What did he do? Verse 19, he commanded the multitude. He told them to sit down on the grass. He took the loaves, took the fishes, and he blessed it. He looked up to heaven, he blessed it, and he gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So there's a transference right there. We give something to God, God blesses it, then he puts it back in our hands and causes us to be a distributor. Did you get that? So here is the disciples. They are walking under the mantle of being kingdom distributors. Why do we say that? Because there was no food. There was nothing to eat. There was a need. People were starving. People were hungry. But they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. The disciples themselves, they didn't know where it was coming from because they didn't feel like they had enough. But when they took it to the Lord, he multiplied it, and he made it to where everyone could get what they need. Because look what it says here in verse 20. It says, and they did all eat. Did you see that? All of them ate. And then it says, and they were filled. Not only did they eat, but they were filled. See, what we got to understand is that we bring our little bit to God, and God is able to not only make us partake of it, but he's also in a position to fill us up with what we're lacking. Did you get that? God is able to fill us up with what we are lacking. So let's read on. In verse 21, it says, And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men, beside women and children. So not only were there 5,000 men, but there were women and children. And you got to think, a lot of them probably were families. A lot of them probably were married with multiple family members in their household. So the 5,000 was just the men that they counted, not counting the women and the children. So you see that all of that happened from the miracle of just five loaves and two pieces of fish. Now, there's a lot of symbolic language in what that may mean. There's a lot of uh, calculations that we can make because of that. But the bottom line here is that we see there's a little bit that got multiplied into a lot. That was a point of pressure because the disciples were looked to to make something happen. And they knew they didn't have it within themselves. So they had to take what they had, bring it to the Lord that he may multiply it. Now that should be some good news for you and for me. So now, We've built our case, and we are here now at verse 22. And this is the crux of our scripture tonight. This is the crux of where we're going tonight, talking about the points of pressure and constrain the circumstance. All right, so let's read here in verse 22. It says, after these things happen, so it says, and straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get unto, into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. 
So first of all, we got to break this part down because we need to understand. It says straightway. That's a very forceful word. That means directly. Jesus straightway, he constrained his disciples. Now, when someone constrains you, that is a point of force. When someone constrains you, that is when they put pressure on you to do something. Uh, an instance of that would be if someone constrains you from going to a certain place. If you're a parent, you may have constraints on your children. What does that mean? You're going to limit their freedom to do something. But in this case, Christ is limiting their freedom. He's limiting their freedom because he's trying to get them to a place where they would know how to behave and how to be safe in the place that he has called them. So it says that he constrained his disciples to get into a ship. He's trying to get you and me to understand that when he gives directives to do something, it's always for our benefit. Did you get that? When the Lord constrains us to do something, it's always for our benefit. So we can't just gloss over this because, yes, we are, moral, we are free moral agents, meaning we can choose our morality as we see fit. But that does not take away from what God has instructed us to do because he is true morality within himself. So he doesn't want to impose upon your will and stop you, but in this instance, he is constraining them. He is trying to get them to a place to where, listen, I'm trying to take you to a place where you will be safe. Because what you're getting ready to face, you need to have my instructions in order to do what I've called you to do. Did you get that? So here we are. It says, uh, and when he had sent the multitude away, this is verse 23. It says, when he sent them away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So here is Jesus getting ready for the next feat that's coming. Remember, he had just did a miraculous thing by blessing this food and allowing people that were hungry to be fed. So the miracle had been performed. So he went apart to pray. So it says here, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. All right. Here are the disciples. They're in the ship now that Jesus told them to get into. But the wind was contrary. So we got to understand a couple of things here. First of all, when the Lord tells you and me to do something, there's always going to be something that opposes what he has told us to do. Did you get that? I pray you got that. When the Lord calls you to do something, there's always going to be something that opposes you. Because it says here that the wind was contrary. The wind had a personality of its own, and it was contrary. That means it did not agree with what the Lord Jesus had put into effect. Did you get that? The wind was contrary. So that means that there are circumstances that come into your life, into my life, 
that is against what God is wanting to do in our lives. And this is what is happening with the disciples. Because it says, the ship now was in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. So listen, we got to understand that there's two elements that's activated right here. First of all, there is the waves. And then there is the wind. So if we read this correctly, we understand that it was the wind that was contrary because the wind was going against what God had spoken. So what did the wind do? The wind used the waves. The wind used the waves to toss them that were in the ship. So we must understand that sometimes there is things that are happening that uses other things to keep us from going forward in life. Did you get that? Because the wind was using the waves. Sometimes people will use or the enemy will use people or circumstances or situations to get us off track to what God has called and what he has spoken for us to do. So it says here, and in the fourth watch, this is verse 25, very key. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Wow. Wow. He went unto them walking on the sea. So this tells you and me that regardless of what is being used against us, Jesus is able to walk on that thing, meaning that he is mastery over it. Did you get that? Because he is on top of the very circumstance that's troubling you in your life. Amen? Did you get that? That means that Jesus is the epitome of peace, that he is the embodiment of, of God that walks on our situations and circumstance. That means that nothing is greater than who he is. So it says here that they was in the fourth watch, which is a certain time frame that they saw him walking on the sea. Verse 26, it says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit and they cried out for fear. So there it is. First thing we see, when we see a supernatural occurrence of the Lord doing something that we don't quite understand and that our natural mind cannot wrap around, one of the first inclinations to know that we are in ourselves is that we cry out in fear. Did you get that? So fear was struck in the hearts of the disciples when they saw this, because they was like, there is no way that here we are in this ship, we are afraid, circumstances in life is beating us down, we are experiencing another point of pressure, and here is this supernatural event occurring right before our eyes. So verse 27, here we are, it says, but straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, and be not afraid. So that should be encouraging for you and me. That should tell us that, listen, Jesus is saying, be of good cheer. So regardless, family and friends, 
regardless of what you're going through in life, Christ is saying, be of good cheer. No matter what kind of circumstance is hitting you in your life, it could be financial depletion. It could be wor worrying from uh, what's going on in your family, what's going on with your children, what's going on at the job where you work. You, you're looking for advancement. You're looking for promotion. Somebody is inside your sphere of activity, and there seem to be someone that's prohibiting you from getting to where you got to go. But Jesus is saying here, listen, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. So we must understand that when there are circumstances in our life, it is Christ himself and him alone that's able to subdue the very thing that's giving us trouble. Did you get that? That means that Jesus is above every situation and every circumstance. When the pressure comes, there is only one that we should run to. Did you hear that? There's only one that we should run to. When the pressure comes, there is not any human agency that can walk on the circumstances in your life but the Lord himself. So when pressure comes and when fear comes to try to get you from advancing to going where God wants you to go, he is the one that you should look to. And we're going to see that in this next verse. So let's go to verse 28. Here it says, it says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou. So he's looking at this, who they think is a spirit, but the Lord has said, no, it's not a spirit. It's me, and I'm walking on the circumstances that's giving you trouble. I'm walking on the waves that's tossing you back and forth. I'm walking on the very trouble that has come in your life. I am walking on top of it. So Peter said, okay, well, Lord, if that is in fact you, then bid me to come unto you on the water. So this is very key. We can't just rush over there. Look at what Peter said. This is indicating how you and I should respond when we see the Lord in the midst of our circumstances. Here is Peter saying, if it's you, Lord, from the water. And remember, here is Peter. He knows that water has the ability to drown him. He knows that the circumstance in itself has the power to pull him under. He knows that. But he's looking unto Christ. He's looking unto Jesus. And he is so enamored. He's so enraptured. He's walking in faith by having his eyes on him saying that, listen, I can do the very thing that God has called me to do. I can come unto the Lord Jesus and walk on my circumstance. Did you get that? So verse 29, what happens? And he said, this is, this is the Lord Jesus talking to Peter. He said, come. He said, and, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he did what? He walked on the water. Yes, he did. He walked on the water to do what? To go to Jesus. So this is very key right here. Anytime there is a supernatural occurrence in our life like this, it should make us want to go towards Christ even more. As a matter of fact, 
The only reason why the supernatural event occurred is because Peter was walking and going unto Jesus. That's the only reason why. So no matter what type of sphere of ministry that we may be in, no matter what God has called us to do, no matter what kind of gifts, talents, anointing, or ability that he has given us, it should all be because we are coming unto Jesus. Did you get that? Did you get that? I pray you got that. Because Peter walked on the water, but he only walked on the water because he was going towards the Lord. That's why he walked on the water. Not because he was just trying to perform some supernatural miracle in and of himself. It was all because he was going towards the Lord Jesus. And that's the attitude, family and friends, that you and I ought to have. Everything that we do in life, when we suspend time in the natural sense, when we do things of a supernatural occurrence in our life, when we do things that make no sense to the natural mind, it is because our heart is fixed on Christ and we are walking towards the Lord Jesus. Let's read on. In verse 30, it says, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. That's a very powerful verse right there. Very powerful. You probably heard it preached this text a million different times. But it's something very key here. It says the wind boisterous. If you find that word boisterous, that's another word that means loud, clamorous. It's a word that means there's a lot of activity in something that's boisterous. Many times they may describe a person that has a personality that is very loud, that makes a lot of noise, someone that is always drawing attention to himself. They call that a boisterous individual. So this is what the wind is doing, boisterous. Also, it is boasting against what God has stated. Did you get that? So he's looking at this wind. He's looking at the person now. He's looking at the very thing that's trying to keep him from walking towards Christ and from doing the very thing that God had called him to do. Because remember, the Lord said, come, come on to me. And that's what happens with you and me. Many times the Lord has stated and he said, come on to me. But we look at situations and circumstances. We look at different things that try to impede our walk towards God. So it says that he saw the wind. Now remember, the very first thing that Peter saw was the Lord. The disciples saw him and Peter saw him. So Peter saw the Lord. He saw him, but then he saw the wind. And many times with you and me, family and friends, that's where we are in life. We see God on one side, but we see a situation and a circumstance that brings us into the bondage of fear on another side. And we pay more attention to that thing that brings us bondage or fear rather than having our eyes fixed on the Lord and what we can do in and through him. Did you get that? So it says he saw the wind. And he saw the activity of the wind. The wind was making a lot of noise. 
The Lord wasn't making a lot of noise. He just said, come. There's no exclamation point. He didn't scream it. He just said, come. And many times that's what the Lord is telling you and me. He said, come on to me. But he's saying it in a still, small voice. But as he's speaking to you and me in that still, small voice, there is the situations in our life that seems to be screaming so loud saying, I can't come to you right now, or I'm on my way to you, but I'm going to take my eyes off of what you called me to do, and I'm going to look at this circumstance. And it could manifest itself in many, many various different ways. It could be the lack of, like I said, not having the resources, not having financial stability, uh, seeing our household in, in a disarray, seeing our relationships in a disarray, seeing things that will cause us to keep our attention on problems rather than the problem solver. Did you get that? So what did he do? He was beginning to sink, and that's what happens to you and me. Did you read that in that verse? It says in verse 30, it said, he was afraid, so there was the spirit of fear, and then he started to sink. So fear caused the sinking. Did you get that? First there was looking at the wrong thing and then being fearful of what you see, and then it caused you to sink. So we can look at our problems, which we shouldn't be looking at problems. We should be looking at the problem solver. What's behind the problem? Who is the one that can solve the issue? And these are points of pressure in our life because he is under pressure at this time. Peter's under a lot of pressure at this time. And this is the pressure of, am I going to live or am I going to die? Did you get that? And many people are facing that today, family and friends. So he knows that he's beginning to sink because he is reverted back into his natural thought of himself. He's reverted back into looking at what seems to be real. And this is the boisterous attitude of the wind. And so he begins to sink, and he says, Lord, save me. Verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? Basically, Jesus is saying, your faith is small at this moment. Why did you doubt? You stepped out on big faith, Peter, when I told you to come into me. You stepped out on big faith, and you did something incredible. You did like I did. You did the supernatural thing, and you walked on your circumstance. You walked on the very thing that was rocking your boat. You walked on the very thing that was causing you to be fearful. You were on top of it. But you look at the personality behind it, and you begin to get engulfed in the personality behind it rather than have your eyes fixed on me and what I can do. Because he said, thou of little faith. He said, Peter, your faith is little right now. And sometimes that's what it's like for you and me. We lose heart. We become disheartened because pressure comes. We get those points of pressure in life. And because they are so heavy, we start looking at what's bringing us the pressure rather than what can alleviate the pressure, which is the Lord himself. He says, wherefore or why or when did you begin to doubt? So he asked him a question. 
So many times that's what it's like for you and me. We're trying to go somewhere because remember, at the beginning of the text, the whole reason this is happening is because they're trying to get to the other side. Remember, Jesus said, I'm trying to get you. And that's what he's saying to you and me. He's trying to get us to the other side. And the other side in this passage of scripture is because there is a great deliverance that needs to take place. There is great healing that needs to take place. What is he saying? The kingdom of God has got to be expanded. The kingdom of God has got to stretch forward and to do some multiplying, and he needs his representatives to get there. So it says in 32, and when they will come into the ship, the wind ceased. Did you get that? When they will come into the ship, the wind ceased. So here it is. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him what? All that were diseased. And they besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. So you got to see the full context of what the Lord is doing here. First, he sent them out to go before him. And many times, you and I, the Lord will give us a command or give us instruction to do something. And he gives command to do something to see where our faith is. Did you get that? See, the great thing about us is once you become identified with his body, once you become identified with the kingdom of God, and these are for believers that accept him and come into his family, see, then you have the power because you have God residing on the inside of you to do things that in this passage, disciples, they could only move by faith. But you and I, we have another witness that lives in us that allows us to do supernatural, miraculous things like that, at the snap of a finger, at the voice of God. They had to move on faith and faith alone. And it's the same for you and I. We move by faith and faith alone, but then there is the power of God that resides in us. In this passage of scripture, they had the Lord on the outside of them. He was performing. He was training. He was discipling. He was giving them a pattern that they should follow. So I submit to you tonight that, listen, there are going to be many things in life that's going to bring pressure to you. Many things in life that's going to bring pressure to you. But take the Lord's constraining as a place of refuge and a place of safety. Because if we look at this passage, it says, and when they were gone over, or when they came into the ship, the wind ceased. So when the Lord shows up in your ship, when he shows up in your home, when he shows up in your haven or where he's called you to be, wherever the Lord sends you and you strike out to go to that place, there are things that's going to come against you to try to keep you from getting there. 
Because this same passage of scripture is over in Mark chapter 6. And we'll turn there real quickly, okay? Let's go to Mark 6. That's the next book over, Mark chapter 6. It's telling you the same story in Mark chapter 6. The very same story is telling us. And it starts telling this story over in verse, let's see, verse 45. It says the same thing. So in the word of God, you find two or three witnesses. It said, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. Here is another witness. Here is another perspective of the same thing that took place. So in verse 45, it says, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. Same deal here. The Lord is saying, listen, get into this place I've called you to. I'm constraining you. I'm going to limit your freedom. Don't take God limiting your freedom as a means of punishment. Sometimes he is limiting your freedom of choice in areas because he knows what you're going to need in order to make it through. So we need to understand, family and friends, ladies and gentlemen, that a limitation of freedom Generally, when the Lord does it, it's bringing us more access. He limits the freedom for a moment, but that limitation is so that you can deal with the pressure that's going to come in your life. So it says in 46, he sent them away. He departed into a mountain to pray. He said in verse 40, 48, he said, he saw them toiling in rowing. So here's another perspective of that. Many times when we are working in our own strength, then there are things that's going to come against us that's going to subdue us. It says, for the wind was contrary unto them. There it is again. When God has given you a command and a directive, there are things that's going to come against you that's going to be contrary to what he's called you to do. It says, so the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh to them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. See that? There's another perspective. Jesus is so empowered in the disciples of what he's given them that he would have walked right on past them. You see that? So many times the Lord is looking at you and me to see what we will do with what he has given us because he was going to walk on past them at that time. But because their faith had been diminished because of the circumstance, the problems, the things that they saw coming against them, they became afraid. And when they became afraid, that's when he came to the rescue. In verse 49, it says, but when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed he had been a spirit and cried out. Verse 50, for they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were so amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. So here it is again that when Jesus gets involved in the place that he's called you to rest, the winds of life will cease being contrary unto you. Did you get that? Once you go forward in what he's committed, he knows what you can take. 
He knows what you can do in your own strength. See that? They were toiling and rowing in their own strength. That's what was happening. But when Jesus came into the situation, the wind ceased. So this should be an encouragement to you and me. That when God gives directives, know that there's pressures that's going to come with it. But within those pressures, know that there is a constraining element that God will give us to cause us to rest in safety. So here it is. Jesus walks on the water. He walks on our circumstances. And then there's a disciple who, in fact, did the very same thing until he began to boost his problems up more so than he boosted up his vision and seeing the Lord. So that should be an encouragement to you and me, family and friends. When our eyes are fixed on the Lord, we can walk above our situations and circumstances. When our eyes are fixed on him, he will cause us to do things that the natural mind cannot wrap itself around. They become supernatural at that time. So listen, I pray tonight that you have been enlightened. I pray that you understand, family and friends, that you can walk above situations and circumstances that come into your life. I pray that you understand that it is the Lord. It is because of him. It is because of running to him that you can have victory in every area of your life. So my question to you is, when are you going to become a water walker? I'm going to say that again. My question to you is, when are you going to become a water walker? Listen, this is The Defender. We are on every Wednesday at 9 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Listen, if you have any questions or comments, we look forward to hearing from you. Send us an email and send us your questions or your requests, things you might want to hear on the broadcast. You can reach us at the Defender of God at gmail.com. Once again, that's the Defender of God at gmail.com. My name is James Fox. I am your host. This is the Defender. We will see you again next week at the same time. Have yourself a great evening. We love you. God bless and good night. The Defender is an online radio broadcast geared toward teaching the Word of God. Our aim is to present the scriptures of the Bible in an informative, systematic process that exalts the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We strive for the inerrant and accurate interpretation of the scriptures by revelation from the Holy Spirit. We are established to give His counsel as pertains to what He has revealed in His Word. Tune in next time for The Defender. The Defender is copyright by James Fox Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.